We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Kicks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Hosted by Alex Blevin and Andrew Freeman on Overtime Media. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and I'm happy to be joined by Bear Report writer, Yusei Koshal. How you say it? How you doing today? Doing well, man. How are you? Doing good. It's a Wednesday afternoon here. We're recording on November 4th, following the, the Bears' 26-23 loss uh, to the New Orleans Saints on Sunday. And, I mean, you say this was just a really frustrating one for the bears because it seemed like in the first half that they had everything going their way and they just couldn't get out of their own way in the second half. Uh, just way too many mistakes, on the, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, it, it just, it's been a theme of the season, but we've just been seeing these issues prop up on the offense over and over again. And um, at this point, it's starting to become the theme of what this team kind of is in 2020. Right, you mentioned, I mean, I really think it was a tale of two halves because when we look at it, the first drive kind of compared to the first half of the Los Angeles Rams game, which the Bears lost. So you look at the first half of this Saints game, it was two different teams that had showed up, especially on the offensive side of the ball because from the get-go, it was very clear that the game plan was to get the ball out of Nick Foles' hands real quick. It's just like, just get the ball to Anthony Miller, Darnell Mooney, Allen Robinson in space, and then they will make the plays and move the offense from there, move the chains from there. But then second half, it's just like the team totally collapsed. I know some people in overtime were like, okay, yeah, well, Eddie Jackson had a potential interception that was dropped. Same thing with Roquan Smith. I think we can't blame this loss on the defense because, yeah, they gave 
gave up 26 points. But at the same time, like the offense is the one responsible for scoring points. And when you have a 10 point lead and you blow it like that, especially with the Bears third quarter rows, this is just another brutal loss that fell on the offense. Yeah, interesting stat. In the third quarter, the Bears defense gave up six points on only 26 yards allowed because you had, of course, uh, the delay of the game that led to a punt, and then there was a big punt return, and then the interception from Foles after Javon Wims completely lost it. I, I don't know what – that that was – to me, the Javon Wims incident was really the turning point in this game because even though the Saints had tied up the game and we saw some issues starting to come up on the offensive side of the ball, it felt like, you know, that they could rebound from that if they got a solid drive going and then Javon Wims did what he did. And that basically destroyed any chance of scoring on that drive. And from there, it just, it kind of just snowballed uh, from that point on, I felt like. Yeah. And I think that that's a big thing, right? Is so the bears are one of those teams when they make mistakes, they're just not good enough to overcome them. And we saw the saints, like they were down by 10, but they did not lose their composure. They st- kind of kept their heads down, kind of kept fighting. And I think that that all goes back to Matt Nagy was also kind of outcoached in this game in certain situations as well. And you look at that whims incident. I mean, Fox showed the camera shot on the Bears sideline where Bear Laser was trying to like bring the offense together and talk to them be like, hey guys, keep your composure, keep your composure. But that whims thing was just the biggest momentum swinger in the game by far. And it was clear that after that, the offense just could not get over the hump and could not get past that big mistake. Yeah, they were able to tie up the game later on in the fourth quarter. I, I, You know, I'm going to defend Matt Nagy a little bit here because I did actually feel like upon rewatching the game that the offensive game plan in general was pretty good. Um, the one inexcusable thing for me is the delay of game penalty at the beginning of the third quarter. That stuff just cannot continue to happen. And I don't know what the issue is, but that has to be at the at – the, top it has to be a coaching issue because it doesn't matter who the quarterback is who the personnel is we see too many times where he subs in players to run a specific play that he wants to go out there and nobody knows what they're doing and they have to take a timeout or a delay of game it just happens way too often um that has to get fixed but with that said when you look at the fact that you know for the majority of the game they had three backup offensive linemen out there because obviously Bobby Massey went down in the first half and you have Springs out there at right tackle um, with already Sam Mustafer and, and Rashad Coward as your two starting interior offensive linemen at center and left guard, you know, with that situation out the offensive line and kind of playing around that, I actually felt like he did a pretty good job of keeping things balanced and getting the ball out of Nick Foles' hands quick. Um, they got some really nice uh, deep plays schemed up there, I think, in the first half, especially. You saw that one big play to Darnell Mooney. So, you know, as frustrating and as deflating as this loss was in terms of just the fact that, you know, the bears did everything they could to lose this game um, when they really had every opportunity to win it. Um, There are some positives I think they can take away from here, but they have to get the mistakes fixed and, you know, it's not going to get any easier for them because their offensive line is beat up right now. And that's not, not a great situation to be in when you're looking at a Tennessee Titans team next week, Um, that's looking to get a win for themselves. They've lost two games in a row as well. So it's kind of a tough situation that they're in right now. 
Yeah, and you know, you mentioned just the kind of issues with the delay of game and whatnot in the third quarter. And I think that, like, this goes back to Matt Nagy kind of preaching. So uh, everyone here on the Bear Report, from myself to you, to guys like Aaron Lemming and Zach Pearson, you know, they've kind of, everyone seems to have written an article about, like, details, 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 and how much Matt Nagy's emphasized that. And it's very clear that, like, how much should, have they really honed in on the details? Because this is a second time in three games where – stupid stuff like a delay of game, you know, or holding penalty, things like that have held the Bears back. I mean, just go back to week six against Carolina where, yeah, you got the touchdown because Cole Komet caught the one touchdown to put the Bears up seven to nothing. But then at the end of the day, you look at the sequence leading up to that and you're like, okay, it was way harder than it needed to be. And so when you, you look at this team, right, and we talk about like Matt Nagy preaching details and whatnot, it's just very clear that they are not fully – going into all the details and it's concerning because like we thought it was a problem in like September and early October but now as you do get into November as you get into mid-November with the kind of stretch run coming up here where we see the contenders and pretenders separate themselves we see who's going to be picking high in next year's draft you kind of worry that the Bears could legitimately follow fall into any of those three categories because this is a team that's just too inconsistent week to week to know what type of team is going to show up because they either focus and hone in on the details and they it shows or they do not and that shows too yeah the inconsistency was something that I kind of gave them a little bit of a pass for early on because of the lack of training camp but you know we're eight games eight games into this thing now you know we're halfway down through the season and we're still seeing some of the same stuff propping up so you know, they have to get that fixed. They don't have a lot of time to do it. Their bye week's coming up in a couple of weeks, so maybe that's where they can fix some things. But, I mean, they have a, a favorable schedule to finish out the year. So it's really about them, you know, coming back strong, getting things figured out, and going from there. But uh, moving on from the Bears now, because we do have a lot to talk about today on our podcast. Uh, some of the subjects we'll be going with here are the trade deadline and some of the stuff that happened there. Uh, the Bears were not very uh, active, to say the least, but we'll get more into that, I think, uh, for our next segment there. And then a big news in the college football world, the Pac-12 is back this upcoming weekend. So we're going to be doing a little preview for that. Some of the players that we're excited to be watching this upcoming week and really going forward for their season. And, you know, there's a lot of other stuff to cover, but first – it's time to talk to you about our sponsor for today's episode, MyBookie. Between the NFL and college football, there's no shortage of games to watch right now. And with thousands of lines available on all of your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into payday with MyBookie. If you're the type of guy who likes to back the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs. They have a ton of value as well. The thing about the NFL is that the underdogs are never really dogs on Sunday. Every team truly has a chance to win, and now you do too. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets, it's never too late to get in on the, on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash for your wallet. Sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use our promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar, all the way up to 1000 bucks. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code OVERTIME for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. Stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, and all the major sports, and more. Sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively 
at my bookie. All right, you said, moving on to our first topic of today's episode is the trade deadline and some of the stuff that happened over the past couple of days, really over the past week or so. Uh, for the Bears, we'll start there. Is It was a pretty quiet trade deadline, to say the least, because they really didn't do anything at all. Um, I, I know some fans wanted them to trade for an offensive lineman, given all the injuries and struggles they've had with that position group right now. But ultimately, I think long-term, they made the, the wise move, to, move of standing pat and looking towards trying to fix this in-house and looking towards the future because the reality is that the Bears, they need to start thinking a little bit towards next year in regards to saving resources, you know, whether that's draft, draft picks or cap space. And, you know, a veteran lineman would definitely help, you know, with this unit as is. I mean, right now it's just a mess. And I'm not sure, you know, if it's going to be fixed necessarily with the guys in-house, but I'm not even sure if bringing in one player for that unit is going to actually solve anything, especially when there are so many other problems on this offense. Um, I don't know. That's just my take on things. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Bears not really doing anything and not being active with the trade deadline? It was definitely the right move for sure because, like you mentioned, resources, the Bears also have to look towards next year. I mean, listen, the Bears have a first, second, and third round pick in 2020. They have, I think, fifth, sixth, and seventh round news too. And then in between that, they are going to have some compensatory picks. Now, the reason they don't have a 2021 fourth rounder is because they traded that to jump back into the fifth round in 2020 and grab Darnell Mooney, who's burst onto the scene. But the reality of the situation is that – you're not going to trade away a one or a two or a three because you know that you have major needs that can be filled with those first, second, and third round picks, especially considering both the top end talent and then the depth that's going to be coming up in the 2021 draft. Now, in regards to financial resources, coronavirus has affected every single team in the league. All right. Some more than others. However, for the bears, like, I think it was all going to come down to draft capital. Like, like I said, you weren't going to give up a one, two, and three. And then your day three picks, like what exactly were you going to net? What significant return were you going to net? Because you weren't going to get a guy like Andrew Norwell or a veteran guard like Kevin Seitler or James Carpenter. None of those guys were going to be had less for anything less than a third round pick. And so you really had to stand pat. That's 50% of the equation. The other half is Norwell, I think was making like 12 or $13 million a year. And he's in the, you know, year three of a, five-year deal signed back in 2018 so you would have had to figure out how to fit his contract on the books too I think that when we look in terms of long term you know what you're gonna have next year is you are gonna have a whole bunch of 2021 20, 22 year old guys on your roster that are going to be significantly cheaper playing on the offensive line then you would have basically acquired Norwell for. And then the last thing to keep in mind is people are like, well, what about compensatory picks? Yeah, the Bears are going to have their fair share of comp picks in 2021, but those aren't going to be like third rounders. You know, they're going to be like day three picks at the most. And then just keep in mind is you don't know where those picks are going to fall. You don't know who's declaring for the draft that is going to be drafted in rounds four to seven. You also don't know what the talent crop is going to look like at that point. You're no one's draft board is even close to being finalized. So there's no point in trading away like the fifth, sixth, seventh rounders that you know you have in exchange for the potential comp picks that you think could be better, but you know, probably will not be better. Yeah. I think right now over the cap has their comp picks set at three, six rounders. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but that's about what I got from based off of, um, you know, who was signed off from the bears the past off season. So 
at best, you're looking at three six rounders that you can get additionally, which I mean, that's nice. You get a couple more lottery picks. Maybe you can package those to trade up in next year's draft, similar to what the Bears did in this past draft. But um, yeah, the, the, they need what the Bears need to start doing is starting to acquire more draft capital and not giving it away because they went all in on trades like the Cleo Mack trade, the Anthony Miller trade, trading up for Eddie Jackson a few years ago. They've traded up quite a bit. Now they need to start being in a mode where they're trading down a little bit more trying to get some more draft capital and starting to get some more young, cheap talent because they're going to be in a tough spot here in the next couple of years with their cap situation. And they haven't gotten a long-term answer at quarterback yet. And, you know, given that we don't know where they're going to end up in this draft for their first round pick, I'm not even sure if they're going to be able to get that answer for the quarterback position in this draft. So they have to be pretty conservative, I think, with that. And kind of sticking along with that, that cap situation thing, I think right now, if you include uh, cap rollover from this year to next year, the Bears would have around two to three million in cap space as is right now, according to overthecap.com. Um, that's not a lot. I mean, obviously, they have some money that they can move around some contracts and they can cut some guys to free up some space. And, you know, I'm not worried in terms of them being able to, you know, create room to be able to field a 53 man roster, but. In terms of, you know, what they can do to upgrade this roster, they still have to re-sign uh, Allen Robinson or make a decision on that at some point for extending him long-term. Um, you know, every single dollar matters at this point in terms of rolling over into next year. So that, that could be an exp explanation why they weren't going to, you know, go for a guy like Quentin Spain, who was, you know, a free agent on the market a couple of weeks ago. They passed on him, even though he was a solid veteran lineman who would have been an upgrade to what they have right now. Um, you know, as frustrating as it is, you know, it's just the state of where they are at this point. Maybe if, you know, if they didn't have to worry about those cap restrictions next year, they'd be more aggressive in acquiring someone. But uh, you have to think long-term as a GM here if you're Ryan Pace, and that's kind of the decision that he went with. Right, and, you know, adding on to it, you mentioned that the Bears, they went so all in on guys like Miller and Jackson. I think that we have to keep one big thing in mind is that had Trubisky the pick panned out, you know, we would not be sitting here. We probably would have been in this situation, but we would have also known a franchise quarterback can cover up a lot of holes on a roster. And then just in terms of looking at the overall roster, the big thing to keep in mind is that on both sides of the ball, you know, the bears are going to need an infusion of young talent over the next two off seasons. And that young talent is going to come primarily from the 2021 and 22 NFL drafts. I mean, listen, Khalil Max 30, Kyle Fuller's 30 Hicks is not getting any younger too. He's in his early thirties. Eddie Goldman, I think is like 27, 28 years old. Jackson, Eddie Jackson is going to be 30 as well. Right. Leno and Massey on the off offensive side of the ball are not the future right so the thing with the bears is this is they know that they're going to need a lot of young talent on the roster whether it's at key positions or whether it's just that depth shoring up depth on certain areas of the roster too and so that's why i think that the next two off seasons assuming pace and nag we know at least for next year pace and Nagy are probably going to be here beyond 2021 we don't know but the bears are really going to have to kind of save more draft capital to build the roster going forward. So they can't afford to be as aggressive as they have in years past. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of one team that um, is kind of deciding whether they want to be aggressive or not at the trade deadline, we're going to stay in the division for one more point on this trade deadline. And now uh, that's with the green Bay Packers. There was a lot of rumors 
yesterday that they were going to make a deal for Will Fuller, wide receiver for the Houston Texans. Um, the Packers, of course, even though it seems like their GM, uh, Brian Goodenkunst, doesn't want to admit it, it seems like, uh, with the way they've kind of structured their team from this past offseason on, but they are in desperate need of another wide receiver. And we saw that in this past week in their loss against the Vikings. They got down at some point in the sec- early in the second half. And other than Devontae Adams, they don't really have anybody on that roster that can separate and create big plays so that they can win in those shootout type of games where, you know, if your game script isn't working initially, you know, you're going to need some playmakers on the outside that can create some things for you. And they just don't have that, again, outside of Adams. Um, so I thought Wolf Fuller, he made some sense as a legit deep threat for this team because they really don't have that on the roster. I mean, they have Marcus Valdez-Scantling, who's probably the closest thing they had to a deep threat, but he can't catch anything. So, I mean, he doesn't really help you there, even though he can get open. But, I mean, you have to throw a perfect pass for him to even have a chance at catching it. He just doesn't have any hands. So it sounded like the Texans were looking for a second or third round pick for Will Fuller in this one. There was some mixed reporting on, you know, what ended up causing the deal to fall through. But it sounds like the Packers, it was kind of a mix of um, not wanting to give up that level of draft compensation. Also, I think they also asked for the Texans to take on some of Will Fuller's salary, which obviously the Packers, they are in uh, a a very tough cap situation as well. Uh, Maybe even worse than the Bears. I mean, obviously they have Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, he covers up a lot of things for that team, still playing at an MVP level, but uh, they have some key free agents that they're going to have to make a decision on next year in order to keep or not. Um, to me, this was the kind of the turning point for this team. Were they going to go all in to win a championship this year, or were they going to sit on their hands and uh, kind of just be conservative and play for the long-term game? And uh, to me, this is a sign that I think the Packers front office, I've been saying this since the offseason. I don't think this front office thinks that uh, they have a Super Bowl contender up there in Green Bay. And I think that explains some of the hesitation to go all in with some of these moves uh, going back from this offseason, especially now at the trade deadline. You know, it wasn't even just Will Fuller. They had some other players out there that they could have traded for to get another wide receiver, another weapon here for Aaron Rodgers. But again, they're being very conservative. Um, what are your thoughts on the Packers situation? So obviously from the Bears' perspective, you have to be happy that this deal didn't fall through just because they play in about two to three weeks here. But the point is, is that, listen, anytime you have a team that's trying to make those types of moves, I think what tends to happen is the team does believe that they can compete for a championship, right? Now, look, look at Green Bay last year. Yeah, they had an easy schedule. They played a third-place schedule for the most part. In 2019, they went 13-3 and behind pretty deep good defense, a decent running game too. And that was the first time last season was the first time in what seemed like forever since their Super Bowl win that Aaron Rodgers had a legitimate running game. When we look at this season, yeah, they've opened up the pass game a hell of a lot more. I think that they do have a good number two receiver on the roster and Alan Lazard, but obviously he's been injured for the last month and a half. So when I look at it, you know, acquiring a guy like Will Fuller would have given you kind of what it was in the old days in the sense that remember how it was Devontae Adams, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb. Now it was just Devontae Adams for some time and it's been that way. Then Lazard emerged. Now, if you were to add a guy like Will Fuller, you would have a good trio of wide receivers there. But like you said, you know, Green Bay is in an interesting spot just because we've seen they're not as the record states otherwise, but they just are not the dominant defense that they were 
a year ago. And so when I look at this team, it's like if they were really serious about believing that Will Fuller was going to be the guy that put them over the top, they would have found a way to get it done because you realize in this league that there's two ways to kind of go about building your roster. There's the short-term moves that you make for a guy like Will Fuller that are going to benefit you for just a year because you have such a year-to-year window in this league. And then there's some of the long-term moves that you make. They didn't capitalize on a short-term move. And now you have to wonder, is this going to hurt them? down the stretch here because can we be real like is green bay really good enough to hang with a team like seattle can they really catch fire you know with it compared to a team like the la rams or the new orleans saints or the arizona cardinals can they catch fire with those teams we're not entirely sure that green bay can do that i mean hell dalvin cook ran over them for four touchdowns this past week and that's a two-win team at this point, the Minnesota Vikings. So Green Bay is still one of those teams that you look at. Yeah, a lot of people are going to be like Super Bowl contender just because of the Aaron Rodgers factor. But this not trading for Will Fuller could really haunt them in the end. Yeah, and just looking at their future uh, you know, situation in 2021, they have David Bakhtiari as a free agent, Corey Lindsley as a free agent on that offensive line at center. You know, those are two – those are, in my opinion, their two best offensive linemen. So they're going to have to make a decision on who they keep there. Um, Aaron Jones is a free agent. Jamal Williams is a free agent. Uh, Tyler Irvin is a free agent. So they're three top running backs. I know they drafted A.J. Dillon, but those three guys have been the guys that have gotten the most touches for them uh, so far this season. So you got your three running backs that could be out the door. Um, you also have guys like Robert Tanya, their top tight end so far this year. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Kevin King's going to be a free agent. You know, who's going to be that next cornerback to step up for them. And we know that their run defense is a huge problem. It's been that way over the past couple of years. So for me, I, I feel like this was the year for the Packers to really capitalize on their window. You know, they drafted Jordan Love. Um, it's pretty clear that he's the future there in Green Bay. So you really don't know how many years of Aaron Rodgers you have left. This was the perfect year to try and strike strike now and try and get Super Bowl now for Aaron Rodgers. And I don't know. I feel like they kind of just blew their opportunity here, but we'll see how it goes. Um, transitioning now to, you know, what we're going to talk about for the rest of the podcast, going back to college football, getting away from the NFL. Uh, we're going to transition to the Pac-12 being back this next upcoming weekend and uh, talking about some of the players that we're excited to watch there. But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick break for another word from our sponsor. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. Moving on to one of the more exciting developments, I think, had had the Pac-12 back. Uh, We've had the other four major conferences uh, back so far this year. And now it finally feels nice that we have a full slate of games, it seems like, in college football that we can watch on Saturdays. So really positive stuff there. Really excited to see this Pac-12 season. Uh, So what we're going to do for this is we're each going to break down the three players that we're looking at the most in this upcoming year for the Pac-12 and kind of give you guys our thoughts on them um, kind of before the season starts. So I'll start off with my first guy, and that's Abraham Lucas, right tackle of Washington State. 
you know, when you look at Lucas, he's one of the best pass protecting tackles in the country. And, you know, if not the best right now, when you look at Panay Sewell out of Oregon, not playing this year due to COVID concerns. So Lucas, he's maybe not the most complete tackle in the game, but in terms of just pure pass protection, uh, this guy is as good as it gets when it comes to, to players in this upcoming draft. You know, he's standing at six foot seven, around 320 pounds. Uh, he's got the sufficient enough length and athleticism that you look for, although uh, sometimes his footwork uh, laterally can be a little bit stiff here and there, but it's not a huge issue because he makes up for it with very polished technique. Uh, this guy really just gets how to play the offensive line position and pass protection. And this is somebody I think that uh, maybe he doesn't have the highest upside as some of the other guys in this draft, such as a Sewell or a Cosme or a Leatherwood. Um, but uh, I, I think, you know, it's really hard to find a plug and play tackle in the draft. And Lucas has a chance to be someone that could be a plug and play starter at right or even left tackle in the NFL uh, when his name is called. Uh, the questions surrounding Lucas are primarily around uh, whether he can contribute in the run game because, I mean, really, he just hasn't had that much of a chance to really show what he can do there uh, playing in Mike Leach's system over the past few years. You know, Mike, Mike Leach is a pass-first type of head coach. He's not there anymore, so I don't know if they're going to be running a different type of scheme there to where he's going to be run-blocking more. But from the tape that I've seen, he's a bit still, you know, too raw in that department, still has a lot to work on as a run-blocker. Um, but obviously, pass-blocking is a lot more important for me for tackles. So... Really, you know, I think Lucas is a guy that is very intriguing. I still like him quite a bit. And, you know, that'll be the main thing I'm looking at this week to see if he can kind of develop that run blocking. But as a pass protector, he's very good. He's very fun to watch there. Currently, I have him down as a day two talent. Um, and I think the Bears, they'd be in a very good position. If they go with a quarterback or another position in the first round, I think Lucas could be a guy in either in the second or third round that they could target and he could be somebody that maybe he'll never be a pro bowl or an all pro type of talent at tackle. But I think he's a guy that just looks like a solid 10 year starter at tackle. And those guys are very valuable in the draft. So yeah, he's definitely one guy that I am keeping an eye on. Now for me, the first kind of prospect that I'm keeping an eye on, I just feel like this year it's a very defensive heavy draft coming or a lot of defensive prospects coming out of the pack 12. But my first guy is cornerback. Washington cornerback Elijah Molden. And this is someone that I look at and I'm like, okay, so he is primarily, he's played nickel during his college career. Now that benefits the Bears a lot because I don't think Buster Screen is going to be on this roster in 2021. I know the Bears have invested in Kendall Vildor and Duke Shelley, but those two guys are primarily looking like they it could potentially be special teamers. I mean, we won't really know. Shelly, I don't think, is going to crack the starting lineup anytime soon. Vildor, he'll get his opportunity once screen is gone. But if they don't believe that Vildor is a guy that can work out, Molden's someone to keep an eye on. I mean, this is someone that's really effective against the run. He's a great tackler, too. He's willing and effective when it comes to tackling. And then, you know, every time you see him bringing down a running back, he never seems to... um you know, never seems to get like beat down or whatever. He's got great size as well. So nickel and slot guy that I think is really someone right now that has a day two or day three grade on him, depending who you talk to. But if he does real well at the combine, if he puts on a strong showing in essentially what is a shortened season, I do think he can play 
uh, his way into day two and day three, con- or, sorry, day two conversation, which would at that point make him a second or third round pick. And I think when we do look at some of the major draft outlets, right, they seem to be much higher on him because of some of the other guys in this cornerback class, right? He's not being talked about enough, but with guys like Paulson Adebo from Stanford opting out and whatnot, I think that Molden's a guy that has a chance to really raise his stock. Yeah, the Bears, I mean, it's always smart, I think, to invest as many draft resources as possible, especially on day three and day two at the cornerback position. You know, they have Kyle Fuller, who has got one year left on his contract, although I think they're going to try to extend him at some point because he's playing at a very high level right now. And obviously, Jalen Johnson's been a stud for them so far as a rookie. Very good pick there for them in the second round so far. But yeah, like you said, Buster Screen, I doubt they're going to keep him at his current cap hit for 2021. I just think that wouldn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, like you said, they have some guys that they've drafted there. But again, finding as much talent at that cornerback position is, is very important, I think, in today's NFL because of the way that teams want to spread out and the fact that cornerbacks can often get injured a little bit easier than other positions. You want to have good depth there. And it's always a great argument of what's more important, coverage or pass rush. But to me, both are just as equally important. They kind of uh, play off of each other. You need a strong pass rush and you need a strong pass defense with their coverage unit in the back end. So if the Bears can shore that up there with a guy like him later on to the draft, I think that would definitely be beneficial uh, for their secondary. Speaking of the pass rush, though, I'm going to go with my second guy here is Hamilcar Rashad Jr., outside linebacker out of Oregon State. Uh, when you look at Rashad, you know, he led the Pac-12 in sacks last season. He had 14 last year after only a two-sack season in 2018. So I wouldn't say he came out of nowhere, but uh, definitely was his breakout year in 2019. And he's going to be one of the top candidates in the conference to repeat that uh, this upcoming season. Uh, when I look at Rashad, He's six foot four, 238, 245 pounds, very similar to Leonard Floyd, I think, from a physical standpoint. You know, you kind of look at that long and skinny, but very athletic edge rusher that can kind of do a, a little bit of everything for you uh, in terms of coverage, in terms of rushing the passer, setting the edge. Uh, so there's a lot of upside, I think, for him to develop a very versatile skill set in the NFL. Uh, in terms of his ability as a pass rusher, he still needs to polish up his technique. Um, if he does, though, I think he's got a great chance of being a early day two, maybe even sneak his way into in the first round, although I'm not too sure about that one. Uh, to me, he's still, he's still a little bit too undersized to be a first-round talent edge rusher. Uh, but if he does develop his pass rushing technique, uh, look out, because this guy does have some explosiveness. He has some bend to him. And he's got some really nice closing speed as well once he gets around the corner. Uh, You know, edge right now for the Bears, it isn't a big need in terms of the short term, because obviously you have Cleo Mack, who's still playing at an elite level. I think he's probably still got two or three years left of that level of play after 2020. Uh, He just looks on another level right now, the way he's played so far this year. And Robert Quinn, he's kind of gotten to a slow, slow start with the Bears, but he's under contract for at least the next two years. So, I mean, he's going to be getting a lot of snaps there as well at the other edge spots. So, and again, they, they invested a, a fifth round pick in the Travis Gibson, this past draft. So they have some talent there and they have some long-term guys that they can develop, but, you know, like with cornerback, you can never have too many pass rushers. And I think Rashad, he can kind of fill that Leonard Floyd role that they've been kind of looking for 
uh, since, you know, they moved off from Florida in this off season, they brought in Barkevius Mingo to kind of be that guy on a vet minimum kind of contract. Uh, Rashad could be very similar, I think, to Leonard Floyd in that he can be a guy who's solid in coverage, can rush the passer, passer occasionally, and then set the edge in the run game. So a lot that I like there, I think he's going to be someone that's going to be available on the second day of the draft. So obviously the bears, their first priority should be addressing the offense, but Again, if he's available, say, in the third round for them somehow, uh, I would definitely not be opposed to pulling the trigger and bringing in someone like him. Yeah, so Rashad's one guy to keep an eye on. it, And I think that sticking with edge rushers here and linebackers, another Washington prospect that I'm going to be really intrigued to watch, who had a breakout season last year with 12 and a half tackles for loss and eight sacks, is Washington edge rusher Joe Tyron. What I like about him is that he's six foot four, six foot five, and about 250 pounds, I believe. And then the big thing to keep in mind with him is that there's a versatility aspect of his game. Now, this is someone that I think can play both inside and outside linebacker. You know, 4-3, he would be a inside linebacker, but he can also play as an edge rusher. And then when you look at him, right, the deal is just that, um, you know, he can he's really good in coverage so you can line him up in coverage he's very consistent when it comes to setting the edge and then he's really athletic when it comes to getting off the ball and then has a couple pass rush moves as well and I think the one thing that Joe Tyron needs to work on is just really being consistent at the point of attack so the length is definitely there but he just does not use that to his advantage and I think that because he's been a two-year starter going into year three this is someone right now that like your guy Rashid right is someone that uh, is a day two or sorry day two or day three guy has all the tools um, can certainly vault himself with another strong year into a uh, round two conversation and I do believe that like Tyron is a guy that teams are going to fall in love with just because of his physical specimen and they'll believe okay this is someone that uh maybe can sit behind in the context of the Bears maybe he's going to be a rotational guy in year one perhaps sit behind a guy like Robert Quinn and then all of a sudden get ready to just fully take over in 2022 yeah Tyron kind of have some uh, Anthony Barr to his game in terms of the fact that you know, he's kind of a tweener between edge rusher and off-ball outside linebacker, but, you know, those versatile type of skill set is something that I think every defense would love to have on their team. And, again, I think we can both agree that the, the focus for the Bears in next year's draft should be addressing the offense, but uh, this, this team's identity is still their defense, and if they can add more talent there, they should definitely be looking at both of those edge rushers, I think, uh, to kind of add more talent to that front seven that is getting a little bit older. Uh, for me, for my last guy, I'm going to go back to the offensive side of the ball, and it's going to be Amon Ross, St. Brown, wide receiver out of USC. Um, St. Brown, you know, to keep things simply here, he's a, a true deep threat for the USC offense. You know, he's a bit undersized at six foot one, 195 pounds, got a skinny frame. So you'd like to see him add a little bit of weight there, but not too much because you don't want to take away any of the speed and explosiveness. It really sets him apart from some of the other wide receivers in this class. Um, but I think he brings a lot more to the table than just being a deep threat. You know, he's very good after the catch. They, you know, USC does a good job of kind of scheming up some things where they can get him the ball in the backfield and get him in space and just give him a chance to create plays with his legs, um, with the ball in his hands. Um, so he's one of those guys that you look at and he's a threat to really make a big play anytime he touches the ball on offense. So the Bears... You know, they kind of have 
that type of player in Cordell Patterson, maybe a little bit of Dar- Darnell Moody, maybe. But, uh, you know, Matt Nagy, the important thing for his offense is having multiple speed guys. If he wants to run an offense like the Chiefs, you know, they have a ton of speed on that offense. And the Bears, their only true speed guy is Darnell Mooney out there. So St. Brown, he kind of brings more of that speed element that can really help complement when you have guys like Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller as your slot wide receiver, and then Darnell Mooney, who's been awesome so far as a rookie. Um, adding another speed threat to this offense could really help them kind of unlock some things maybe if they can get the quarterback position figured out. Um, but there are some things that St. Brown needs to work on if he's going to be drafted high because he does need to refine his route running a little bit to help him separate a bit better. You know, even with his speed and explosiveness, he still has a tough time separating at times. So that is a bit concerning for me, but I think he can work on that and he can get there. Um, and also the one thing I'm looking out for this year is that, you know, last year, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. got all the attention for that USC offense at the other wide receiver spot. Uh, you know, Pittman getting drafted by the Colts. He was an absolute beast for them at times, uh, really as their number one target. And St. Brown really benefited from having more one-on-one matchups as a result. You know, he had 77 receptions for over a thousand yards, six touchdowns. Can he replicate that production uh, when he's going to be the number one guy in this offense? And I would assume getting more attention from opposing defenses, uh, only time will tell with that. But uh, I think he has the talent to be able to work that out. And, you know, I'm not sure if he's a first-round talent because the wide receiver class is so talented next year. You know, he might be someone that will drop to the Bears maybe in round three, and maybe they can take a chance on someone like him to add some more explosiveness to this offense. Yeah, so St. Brown's another one of those guys that I'm going to be really intrigued to watch here over the next couple of weeks because I think that when we look at this wide receiver class, like you mentioned just a moment ago, I mean, there's you could make a case right now for six guys going in round one. And then because there's so many people out there scouting and whatnot, you're going to have different grades on those. And we know who kind of the big three are with like Waddle and Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith, right? But, um, you know, St. Brown's just so like, he's, he's one of those guys that the reason, you know, I'm glad you brought him up and picked him because you mentioned like Cordero Patterson and Darnell Mooney. I mean, he's one of those players that uh, is like, okay, you can fit him into the offense and Nagy could use him in the Cordero Patterson type role. Cause I honestly do not think Patterson's coming back because he's got like a cap hit. I think this year, the last time I checked on over the cap of like, $5 million, right? Which like, if you can get a cheaper version of him in the draft, you have to go by it. You have to go for it by all means. And then looking at it, right. I know Patterson was a receiver coming out of college. I mean, the Patterson experiment at running backs completely failed. Um, I think St. Brown is definitely more complete than Patterson, both in terms of when uh, both guys were coming out, but my final guy in sticking on the defensive side of the ball, and this is one of those lower end Pac-12 schools that does not seem to get enough attention, but it's Arizona State linebacker Merlin Robert Robertson, and this is someone that I look at and I'm like, okay, so six foot three, two fifty one. It had a great year last year with five tackles for loss and then two sacks had an interception too, and then had 74 total tackles. So really a guy that's going to fill the uh, stat sheet, but what's the like about him is he's a three down linebacker could be a three, four or four, three guy, much like Joe Tyron can also set the edge and then is really good in man coverage too. Now, the big thing to keep in mind with Robertson, I think is that 
the motor is something that you need to question and question that heavily because when we had an opportunity to watch him last year, it was like, all right, this is someone that has a high motor, but then his motor was also in question at times. And so I think that really, if he can just continue to have the high motor, continue to make his presence felt on every single play in every game this year, whenever the defense is on the field, I think that that's another one of those guys that when spring finally does come around, we will see him be, a fast riser now granted he's not gonna have a rise like and you know you're not gonna group robertson in the same group that you would put like micah parsons from penn state or dylan moses from alabama or michigan's own cam mcgrone or a guy like quitty Payne. none of those guys but you will he will be someone that uh you know is worth investing a mid-round pick-in and then hopefully you see the results down the road as someone that can scratch the surface and or i'm sorry someone that is right now scratching the surface of what he can potentially develop into yeah we, we talked about quite a bit that linebacker if the bears are going to invest anything on defense in next year's draft is getting another young linebacker to develop behind dan trevath and holy hopefully take over for him uh is going to be key maybe on day three and robertson with his ability to be kind of three down linebacker to kind of uh, pair with Roquan Smith potentially uh, definitely could be a target. I think if they're looking for a day three uh, option at linebacker, maybe a little bit of a steal there to get a future starter uh, for their defense. Um, so yeah, uh, lots of exciting stuff for the PAC 12 really excited to see uh, some of the, some of these guys play not only for this weekend, but going forward for, for the rest of the season, uh, the big game to watch, I think for this upcoming week is Oregon and Stanford. So I'm going to keep an eye on for that one. Um, to close this podcast, though, we're going to be talking about a little bit about some of the quarterback action happening in college football. But before that, we're going to take our final break of the show with one last word from our sponsor. Every day can bring changes, challenges, and opportunities that can also change your personal or business financial goals and priorities. As a true partner, Sandy Spring Bank can make it all a bit easier someone who really listens, understands, and then creates solutions in hard times and good times. We'll always strive to be your advocate today and every day. That's real banking for real life and real business. Visit sandyspringbank.com slash real member FDIC. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, finishing up this episode, talking a little bit about the quarterbacks in college football right now. And what I wanted to do here, you say, was kind of uh, divide these quarterbacks up into tiers and kind of uh, go over who is separating themselves right now and uh, what the draft stock is looking at for some of these guys. So I'm going to define the tiers and we'll go from there and kind of go down the list um, of who we think is in, would fit the, the category of each tier. So tier one, you're looking at elite quarterback prospects, someone that's going to be picked high, top three, top five of the draft, and when you're drafting them, you know that this is a pretty safe option to be a franchise quarterback. Uh, maybe not quite the Andrew Luck level because Andrew Luck was a generational prospect, although you could argue that Trevor Lawrence is at that level potentially. But, you know, maybe not even something like that, but uh, definitely someone that you think is going to be a safe option to be a franchise quarterback for a long time to come. Tier two I have is a first round talent, but have some question marks. Maybe there's a hole in his game. Maybe he lacks experience. Maybe it's the quality of competition or the system that he's played in. But there's maybe something missing where you think that maybe it might take him a couple of years to get there, but has the talent to be a franchise quarterback nonetheless. And then I got tier, tier three. This is a guy that 
maybe is more best suited as a day two talent as a second round pick, but because the quarterback position is so important or because they have uh, the upside factor to them could be going in round one as a result. And it's someone that, again, it might take a few years for him to be a franchise quarterback, but you can definitely see the, the type of potential there where he can be your long-term solution at quarterback going forward. And tier four day two talent, you know, likely a quality backup in the NFL, but does have some starter upside. So I think tier one, obviously, I think we can both agree that Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields right now are kind of separating themselves as the two top quarterbacks in this draft class. And for me, I think they're kind of in the same tier for that top one. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely agree because I think just dating back to the 2019 season when Justin Fields finally, when just so 2019, Justin Fields has 51 total touchdowns in his first year starting at Ohio state. And you know, when Lawrence first started, I think in 2018 for Clemson, we knew that the future, you know, we were all waiting for him to take the next step and go to the NFL in 2021. Now, when I look at uh, fields, right, he's definitely cemented himself as the surefire number two guy. But the question I think for fields is going to be how significant is the gap between fields and Lawrence. And I think that with Lawrence being out for the next two games, well, essentially this week when Clemson does play Notre Dame, I mean, Lawrence missed last week too when Clemson played Boston college. Now I think that the question for fields is going to come down to how significant is that gap? And can he close that gap over the next two weeks here or over the next couple of weeks here? Because I really think that Lawrence is going to go number one, but in terms of who has the higher ceiling, who could land in the better situation? I think that that has to go to fields. Yeah. Anyone that's been following my work knows that I've been a little bit late to the party on Justin Fields in terms of uh, not buying in as of yet. Um, I think in my first, uh, draft board for the 2021 draft class I had Justin Fields not even as my second best quarterback I had him as my third quarterback and we'll get to my you know the other quarterback that was ahead of him in a little bit here but just sticking with Fields first um, you know he's definitely shown the type of improvement that I was looking for uh, going into this season he's been a lot better going through his progressions his accuracy down the field has been a little bit better so far and again he has mobility he has the ability to make plays off of schedule, off script, which is very important in today's NFL with, you know, the quality of offensive line play not being where it was 10 years ago. You know, the days of your traditional drop back pocket passer is starting to dwindle a little bit. I know we've got some veterans out there that are able to make it work still, like Tom Brady can still make it work. Uh, Drew Brees, even with the lack of arm strength, can still make it work uh, well enough. But, you know, we're going to this direction where, you know, if you're a quarterback, you need to be, need to have some athleticism and ability to make plays when the play breaks down. And Justin Fields, he has that. Um, again, there's only the only concern I have is that it's just so easy with the level of talents around him um, that the Ohio State inherently has a huge advantage over every single opponent they face, even in the Big Ten. But um, you can say the same thing for Trevor Lawrence at Clemson too. So I think that's kind of a negligible uh, criticism. I think at this point. At the end of the day, what are the traits? What are they showing on the tape? And right now, Justin Fields looks very, very good right now. Um, you know, he's going to be, I think, looked at as a very nice consolation prize for a team that cannot get Trevor Lawrence in this draft. So moving on to Tier 2, I I only have one guy in this tier, and that's Trey Lance. 
Um, if you're going to ask me, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, maybe over a month ago before the season, I would have Justin Fields and Trey Lance both in this tier. But now Trey Lance, he's the only guy for me. Again, first round talent, but I do have some concerns about him, especially stemming from that one game that he played for that showcase a few weeks back in October. Um, you know, wasn't his best performance to say the least um, in that one, but it's only one game. So you don't want to, you know, you, you have to be careful not to draw too many conclusions from that one. You have to look at the entirety of the picture when you're judging this guy as a prospect. But again, the, the one thing that's going to hold him back, I think, for a lot of evaluators, or at least, you know, have a lot of evaluators question him is the level of competition that he's played at and the fact that North Dakota State you know, every single year they're, they're winning the championship in the FCS. So, you know, is this success because of the fact that the program around him is so dominant or is he the one that's uh, creating more of that dominance for the program? Definitely something that evaluators will have to question. Yeah. And, you know, I think the big thing to keep in mind is that when we do look at a lot of the top tier quarterback prospects that have come out over the last Last few years, and again, I'll use Deshaun Watson as my prime example because this is someone that, you know, was a national champion, did play in a couple national championship games. The point is, is that people talk about like we talk so much about like talent and whatnot, you know, in terms of like who the prospect is and what the prospect can do. But the other thing that you know we have to keep in mind is this: is who did these guys play against, right? So like people are high on Trevor Lawrence one because he's a generational prospect, but also because he's shown up in big moments and in big games. The same thing can be said for a guy like Justin Fields, who's basically you could argue is playing in the best college football conference in the country. Now regarding Regarding Trey Lance, he is a tier two guy for me because, yeah, he's a first round talent, right? But like same thing was said about Carson Wentz a couple of years ago, who went two overall back in 2016, right? These guys that play against inferior competition, they, I think, really have to, when they get to the next level, they have to land in the perfect situation, right? Like Wentz was drafted into a perfect situation. They have to land in the perfect situation because they have played against some inferior competition. I mean, we don't expect a guy like Lance to be playing against, you know, SEC or Big Ten or Pac-12 in what I'm trying to say is NFL level competition week in and week out. He's not getting that experience that a guy like, you know, Lawrence or Justin Fields is getting and that's the big thing here and that's you know what is that's the conversation and the question marks that are going to be surrounding Lance going forward is since he did play against inferior competition can he deliver the same way on the NFL stage that he did in college yeah absolutely that's the main question you know I still like Lance a lot but uh we'll just have to see how that goes we're not going to see him again uh, unfortunately for until the draft process so uh, definitely a lot to figure out there with Lance. Still like him a lot, though. Moving on to tier, tier three. Uh, again, these are day two talents that could potentially be going in round one. I have two guys in this tier, and I wasn't prepared to have two guys in this tier. Um, but we've seen a couple of guys really you know, work their way up the ranks, I think, over the past couple of weeks this season. And the two, those two guys are Zach Wilson and Mac Jones. Zach Wilson out of BYU and Matt Jones out of Alabama. Out of the two, I think Wilson has the best chance of working his way up the tier two, but man, both of these guys have been very exciting, very uh, impressive so far this season, especially Zach Wilson. He's kind of come out of nowhere. I mean, you can kind of see with a guy like Mac Jones with the amount of talent around him at Alabama that he was going to put up numbers and he was going to look impressive um, 
you know, given that he's thrown to Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, and he's got a great offensive line in front of him. Um, so he was kind of in a beneficial situation. Uh, Wilson, you know, he's playing a smaller level of competition, but he is really the star, straw that stirs that drink for that offense there at BYU. And he's making plays, uh, ridiculous plays off schedule with his arm and with his legs. Uh, you know, every single game he's doing something that just makes you go wild. You know, this guy has some talent to work with. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on those two? And do you think either of them can maybe even work their way up a little bit higher than that? Yeah, so I would put, you know, the things I would put Zach Wilson as QB for just because like you mentioned, you know, he does not have like a lot of NFL level talent around him. He's essentially doing more with less, right? Where we compare him to a guy like Mac Jones, where, you know, Alabama every single year is going to send a handful of prospects to the NFL level. And I think the big question surrounding Mac Jones, and you kind of hinted at this, is that is he legitimate, you know, is he the legitimate QB for like some people are saying he is, whereas some people are saying Wilson's QB4, or is are we talking about Mac Jones's QB4 because of all the talent around him? So is he legit or is he a product of all the talent that is around him? Now, personally, I would put Wilson as quarterback four just because when I look at Wilson, right, the thing is, is that this is someone that last year at this time nobody was talking about and is someone that's a late bloomer. Whereas last year at this time, a lot of the talks surrounding Alabama was all about Tua, 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 Tagovailoa, who's now now playing in Miami and no one after Tua went down with the gruesome hip injury was really talking significantly about Mac Jones right and so when I look at it right my QB4 is right now cemented it's probably gonna stay that way unless Wilson puts together a strong showing here in November and December and before we get into playoff season and bowl season my QB4 is gonna stay at Wilson because very rarely do you hear of a guy, especially in a loaded quarterback class like this, like Wilson, who comes out of nowhere. I mean, if Mac Jones was legitimately QB4, I think that people would be talking about him more just because Alabama gets way more attention whenever a big-name prospect or whenever any prospect is coming out compared to someone like BYU, someone coming out of BYU. Yeah, Mac Jones... You know, the thing I like about him is his deep ball is very impressive. He throws a very accurate ball down the field, and that really helps guys like Smith and Waddle make big plays when they do get open because those guys can get open deep, and uh, it's just a perfect marriage, I think, for that offense. They have a quarterback that can throw the ball with conviction down the field and wide receivers that can get open. But, again, is it the talents around him more so, or is it that he's got that, you know, you know that talent to make it work? Um those are the type of things, again, when we talk about guys with, you know, day two talent that could be going around one, those are things that you have to figure out when you're scouting these guys. Uh, the last tier that I got here, tier four, again, these are day two talents, likely backups in the NFL, but maybe they can start if they get into the right situation and develop. Uh, the only guy I got is Kyle Trask. You know, for me, after him, there's a big drop off in talents at the quarterback position. You know, I'm not entirely sold on Trask anyway. I think there are some legitimate questions about him as an NFL prospect, but uh, he's been pretty impressive so far. He's got a great relationship, uh, you know, great chemistry with Kyle Pitts, the tight end there at Florida, who's been absolutely dominant this year. Um, you know, there are some things I think to like about Trask, but is there anyone else that you would add to that tier, or do you think it's just Trask at this point? So one guy that I think is really intriguing and I felt like before, aside from trust that I felt like before the college football season even started that certain people were kind of hyping up is 
Wake Forest Jamie Newman, right? Now, that's someone that I don't even think Wake Forest is playing this year. But Newman was one of those guys that I was like, okay, I would probably put him right now. I'd still put him in the same um you know, same tier as I put Kyle Trask, a guy who, yeah, when he gets to the next level, right, is going to be a backup, is probably going to have to fall into the right situation to start. But real quick regarding Kyle Trask before we uh, get out of here and end this thing, right, I think that the big thing to keep in mind with Trask is, yeah, he does have some mobility. There is some pocket presence to his game, but what really kills it for me is just like the above average arm strength. He's not a guy that you look at and you're like, you know, the arm, if he had a bigger arm, it would make all the difference in the world for him. And maybe we'd be talking about him in a different context, but he reminds me a bit of like Jake from, from Georgia last year, who's backing up Josh Allen in Buffalo. Now the reason I'm not directly comparing the two, but I think I compare the situations because there are some people that think, yeah, maybe if Trask gets into the right situation, he can be like a bit of a game manager, a kind of system QB that is going to start at the next, level but like i just do not you know serviceable backup in this league but i just don't expect him to play his way into being a significant starter that's going to move the needle anytime soon yeah i mean with quarterback being as important as it is i mean if you can find a quality backup you know in the third or fourth round i think you can a lot of teams would take that i think the bears would certainly take that if they can't get a quarterback in the first round you know take another swing at the quarterback position maybe see if you know you can develop into something but yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. Trask, there are some red flags there to kind of concern me about whether he is going to be anything in the NFL. I think his numbers right now are more of a reflection of the talent around him rather than him himself as a prospect. But uh, again, we'll just have to keep monitoring over the season. And then in the draft process, you know, when he gets into interviews and he starts working out for teams, that's where he's going to really have to separate himself, I think, because physically he's not the most impressive on tape. Uh, in terms of the arm strength and the mobility that we've kind of alluded to. But uh, if, you know, he can kind of impress there, that could be something that could be uh, beneficial to him and his draft stock. Uh, all right. I think this is a good time to conclude this episode of the Picks for Pace podcast. We went through quite a bit in this episode. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace uh, for more draft related coverage. Uh, you say, where can they follow you? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Usaid Koshal, and then be sure to check out my work on the Bear Report each week, too. All right, and you can follow me at AJ Freeman 25 Make sure to check out my work on the Bear Report as well. Uh, we want to thank our listeners once again for tuning in on all platforms. Uh, we look forward to next week where hopefully we'll be recording following a Bears win, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Have a great weekend, everyone. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. 
Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 